Good morning, family. How are we doing this morning? We want to continue to pray for Pastor Scott and his family, Sarah Jones and the boys. Um, Jones family, we miss you this morning. We love you so much. You continue to be in our prayers, and we can't wait to see you on next week. Miss our pastor this morning. I'm delighted to be with you once again. Uh, we are in our Advent series for the third week. And this week, uh, we, are, we are focusing our attention on the parable of the talents, right? The parable of the talents. Before we get started, let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for revelation. Thank you so much, God, just for the power of your word to inspire, convict, and encourage us. God, this morning as we dive into this text, God, I pray that you continue to teach us the lessons of Advent, the lessons of what your arrival means, and the lesson of what waiting on your next arrival to mean for us right now. In the name of Jesus, we do pray this prayer. Amen. Amen. For a few minutes of your time this morning, I want to tag this text, don't bury your talents. Don't bury your talents. Growing up in a black church, there is a special member status for older church women. My grandmother, who you've heard me talk about at length at times, has, what, has this title that, that we call church mother, right? And these old church women tend to be arbiters of human wisdom, right? They can communicate certain things about life and what it means to be human, and particularly what it means to be a follower of Jesus in very unique and accessible ways. As I was going over this text this week, I was reminded of a time when I was a teenager. I was, I was going around church saying, hey, everybody, how's everybody doing? And I went over to Mama Simmons, right? She was my first Sunday school teacher. I said, Mama Simmons, how you doing this week? You all right? And she said to me, you know, baby, life has been pretty tough, but that's okay because I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. Now, at the time, I didn't know what to do with that. I was like, oh, I had a pretty good week. It was, you know, normal week. I had to, I had to, go, I had to go to basketball practice and whatever, right? But she said she was waiting on God. And during this Advent season, what God has revealed to me is that waiting on God is a spiritual practice. It is a way of life for us as Christians. Waiting on God for us as a people of God is tradition. It is, quite frankly, our heritage, right? When you look back at the history of God's people, you see a people that waited on God at every turn, right? When you, when you think about our forefather, Abraham, God said, I'm going to make you the father of many, many, many nations, right? You're going to have a child. God did not give that child to him right away. Abraham had to wait. Israel was in bondage in Egypt for centuries, 400 years, and God waited. They had to wait on God to deliver them out of that oppressive situation. They had to wait on God. Joseph, the man with many dreams, had to go through so many trials and tribulations before he was finally elevated to a position where he can impact change, not only for his family, but for all people of God. Joseph had to wait on God. And we have to come to terms today that as Christians, as people of God, we are called to be waiting people. Mama Simmons understood this really, really well right? Things may not have been going right in her life at that moment, in that time, but she had trust that God would, would, would fulfill every promise he made to her in his word, and he would come through after a while. 
It may not be good right now, but I'm waiting on God. And waiting is excruciatingly painful, right? It's, it's not easy, especially in this culture, right? Can I, can I be honest with you? You know what really drives me crazy? Commercials. I hate commercials. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down. Do we have any Adele fans? Anybody like Adele? Hashtag sour girl season, right? I love Adele. And she had this concert on TV. I sat in front of my TV. I was like, you know, I'm going to watch Adele. Adele's worth my time. And then I got to that first commercial. I'm like, oh, my God. What has human civilization come to that I have to watch these commercials just to watch my girl sing? Like, yo, I got to sit through all of this, right? But this is a product of our culture, right? Like, we have not been trained or socialized in any kind of way to wait on something for a substantial amount of time. And then there's this thing called temptation. Temptation also makes waiting very, very difficult, right? Because sometimes we're going to be tempted by things in the world, and God's going to say, nope, that ain't the way. And we'd be like, God, but, but if, if, if I just do it, I know it's going to make me happy. Nah, it's not going to make you happy. But God, if, if, if I just do this one thing, I, I promise, I know that it's going to make me free. Nope, it's not going to lead where you think it's going to take you. But God, I'm telling you, it's right there. It's literally right here. If I just do it, I'm telling you, that's not the way. And then out of frustration and sometimes maybe out of humility, we say, God, then what am I supposed to do? What do I need? And that's where God says, that's the question. Now I have you where I want you. You've come to me, your Father in heaven, the creator of your life, and you've asked me, what do I need? What do I, what, what do, what, what does my heart actually need? What does my soul actually need? And that's when God says, let's take a walk. Let's go on a journey, right? And just to let you know, this might take a while. Life is a process. Everything that I've promised you, I'm not going to give it to you in one fell swoop. There are steps to this. There are levels to this, right? Waiting is a spiritual discipline. Waiting is a way of life for the Christian. As excruciating as it might be, what, what, what lessens the pain is trust and devotion to God. God, I trust your will for my life more than my own will. I trust your way more than my way. And if waiting is a way of life for us, it brings up this crucial question, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Right? What are we supposed to do in the midst of our waiting? As I was driving in this morning, I said, man, Jacob's well probably going to have some questions for me this morning. I, I got to come ready and load it. Because that question that y'all just asked, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? That is a bold, courageous, and wonderful question. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? And that is where we meet Jesus this morning in this parable. Jesus offers us a response of what are we supposed to do in the meantime with this parable, the parable of talents, right? And one of the things we have to understand first and foremost, right, is that in the midst of our waiting, we as Christians are not called to be passive, right? We're not called to play it safe. We're actually called to act. We're called to action, right? And the context of this parable is this. Jesus is continuing teaching us 
about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven like? This parable is actually a continuation of the, of the parable that we learned about last week with Tyler, right? So Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. And this is actually a wonderful figure of speech to, 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 to illustrate the two advents, right? So the first advent, we get Jesus coming to earth and doing the Jesus thing. He conducts his ministry. He dies on a cross for us, showed us what it's like to be human, and then he rises from the dead and he ascends, right? And Jesus here is saying that on the first advent, I came to call you to service, right? And this service is going to be carried out through the gifts and talents that I'm about to get ready to give you, right? And then on the second advent, I'm going to come back and I'm going to call you to account and I'm going to judge the quality of your service, right? So the first advent was almost like a recruiting trip, right? Come on. Come join me. Join this kingdom. Join my kingdom. And now that you are a part of this kingdom, you got to fulfill the kingdom agenda, right? And when I come back, I'm going to judge the work that you have done. So he says, it would be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants over and entrusts them with his property, right? So Jesus does the glorious thing of calling us, saying, will you join this kingdom? And then he gives us an inheritance, which is the beautiful thing, right? He said that I'm actually going to partner with you. I'm going to give you these gifts. And in this text, he uses, he uses the metaphor of talents, right? Now, a talent is the greatest unit of accounting in Greek money, right? A talent in those days was worth 10,000 denarii in, in, in Greek money. And one denarii was worth one fair day's wages, right? So when you, th when you think about a talent, basically what we, all you have to do is think about in any country, a, a fair day's wages multiplied by several thousands, right? And that's how you get a talent. So basically, biblical scholars will argue that a talent was worth a lifetime of wages. So basically, you good. You ain't got to worry about nothing financially or monetarily. And this is really, really interesting because Jesus uses this as a metaphor for what he has given us, right? He's saying that the gifts that I have given you are worth that much. They are insurmountable gifts. And what are these gifts? But well, these gifts are spiritual gifts, the gift of the spirit, obviously, the gift of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, redemption. These gifts are worth so much more than what the world could ever offer. Jesus says you are rich, not based on your monetary wealth. You're, you're rich, not based on your worldly status. You're rich because you get to be called a child of God. That's what makes you rich, right? And, and the love of God it, 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 it is so rich. It's so sweet. It's so transcendent that it's, that it's hard to really put into words how valuable it really is, right? Because, because the love of God says that, 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 that I'm going to be your sustainer. I'm going to be your, your heart mender. I'm going, to, I'm going to be everything to you. I'm going to love you so much that you feel worthy even when the world says you're not. 
The love of God said that you're worthy, you're valuable, you're, 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 you have this intrinsic worth no matter what shape or size you may come in, no matter what background you may come from, no matter how you may have come up, no matter what mistake you've made, you're worthy because you belong to me. You matter because you matter to me. The love of God says, I'm going to love you through every single mistake or misstep you ever can, you, you ever can make. I'm going to love you to, I'm going to love you into a new existence. That's how powerful the love of God is, right? And, and, and I thought about this. I said, you know, my mama loved me a lot. I don't mean to brag. But my mama loved her son Jalen. She loved me, loved her son. But even my mama ain't got nothing on God. She ain't got nothing on her because, because my mama, she, she's made some mistakes. She's hurt me at times, not, not, not because she's meant to, but because she's a sinner. And because she's a sinner, there's a limit to her love. But oh, with Jesus, oh, there is no limit. No limit to the love of God, which is why I love to be loved by God, because it's unconditional. It's, 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 it's not circumstantial. It, it, it loves me even when it's hard to love my own self sometimes. And that is why the love of God makes me rich. It makes us all rich because we get to be loved and we get to be called children of God. And Jesus says, this makes you rich. This makes you worthy, right? And these are the talents that I'm giving you. Forgiveness, I'm forgiven. I've been redeemed. I've been restored, right? I have grace. I have mercy. These things give me all that I need to live a life worthy to be called a child of God. I want to pause here real quick to notice that the, the first two servants, right, when they receive these gifts, check out what they do, right? The Bible says that they went at once. Love that, right? It was almost like they, they, they got the gifts. They, 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 they understood what it was. They said, oh, my God, I got to go. I got to go, right? They immediately went. And, 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 and that's, a very, that's a very, very important point because they were so thrilled at the gifts they just received that they immediately had to go put them into use, right? They understood the gravity of what they had just received. And notice, right, that they could not do anything without receiving first, right? We can't jump the gun. So before we actually can do any work for God, any ministry for God, we have to receive the gift of the Spirit. We have to receive the gift of salvation. We have to receive the gift of redemption and forgiveness. And from those gifts, we do work. We do ministry. We love the world. We love those around us. Receiving precedes doing. And I think sometimes we get so caught, and, and, and it's very market-driven, capitalistic world, we get so caught up with, 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 with outcomes. We get so caught up with, 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 with results that we just go. Go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Wait, 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 wait. But, but God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, ain't, I, I didn't give you what you need yet. Before you go. Let me give you everything you could possibly need before you go, you go be about my business, right? And that's the point, is that Jesus is saying, before I leave here, I'm going to give you these gifts. It's going to be a while before I come back, 
But until I come back, take this. Take these gifts. Take these gifts and go be about my father's business. In the midst of our waiting, we're not called to be passive. We're not called to sit down and just watch TV all day. We're actually called to go. We're called to go. And the third servant teaches us that we are in no way called to play it safe. Right? Because playing it safe is sort of an easy option. Right? And I think one of the fundamental reasons why Jesus does not want us to play it safe is because he didn't play it safe. Right? Could you imagine if Jesus came down here and said, you know... I don't really have to die. I don't really have to show y'all how to do this stuff. I can kind of just sit over here, live my life, and y'all just watch me, right? But I don't have to actively go out and take risks. I don't have to actively go out and, and, and risk my reputation, risk relationships with my family, with my friends, with, 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 with my community. I don't have to go out and make enemies of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, make enemies of the rulers of this world, right? Jesus never played it safe. And and when we think about this, Jesus never played it safe because he was mission-oriented, right? He knew the cost. He knew the stakes were too high for him to ever play it safe. He knew that if he ever played it safe, it would cost someone the opportunity to be saved, to be redeemed, and to be forever changed. Jesus put it all on the line for you and I. If he had played it safe, you and I would not be here this morning. And this is why I love Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the blueprint. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I myself do not do. So as I leave this place, I'm going to ask you to do what I did, which is to go and be about the business of Test, test, test. There we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. So we can't play it safe. Let's pick up at verse 18. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Let's pick up at verse 20. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And then the second servant said the same thing. This is interesting, right? Because we're not called to play it safe. We're called to go, right? And the interesting thing about being called to use these gifts to go out and make disciples or just to go out and embody the love of Jesus to those in our lives, right? To those who we have been called in community with, to, to our family members, to our friends, we're called to go. And notice how when the servants went, they multiplied, right? Not as a matter of 
Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to meet a certain quota. I want you to go and I want you to, to, to sort of, I want you to gain this amount of profits. But Jesus said, as a byproduct of the gifts you have received, as a byproduct of the spirit, people will want what you have. People will be impacted by your love. People will be impacted by the way that you are treating them kindly and, and, and sacrificially, right? So the gifts that you have been given will impact other people's lives. There's no doubt about that. So therefore, once you receive these gifts, I expect you to just go. Not go and do not not go and, and multiply by this amount. Just go and love. Go and be about our father's business. Right. That's what he calls us to do. And that's when the servants come back and say, I've multiplied. Right. And check out what Jesus says here. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much into enter into the joy of your master. Right. He says the exact same thing to both servants, right? So one servant brings back a little more than the other one. But he says, he says the exact same thing, which shows you that all Jesus is looking for is effort and intentionality. That's all he's looking for, right? He wants you to go and do the best you can by what you've been given. I'm asking you to be faithful to what you've been given. Right. I'm asking you to try and do your best to live like I have lived and love like I have loved. Right. That is what's going to guarantee you a well done, my good and faithful servant. Not playing it safe. Right. Because if you play it safe, that guarantees that no one will be impacted by what you by, by, by your life by your actions, right? But if you just try, if you just go, if you are intentional in how you live your life, for example, at work, right? Is it apparent to your coworkers that you are a follower of Jesus, right? And this is not a high pressure question. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. Right. But it should be apparent to those around you that you follow Jesus by the way you treat them, by the way you love them, by the way you care for them. And even by the way you tell them the truth about themselves. Right. It should be apparent to those around you that you are a follower of Jesus. Right. And here's the thing. This is risky business. Sharing Jesus with family members, sharing Jesus with coworkers, friends, classmates, schoolmates. This is risky business, right? Because it is possible that your reputation will take a hit. That's very, very possible, right? But here's the thing. The stakes are too high for us to dwell on that reality, right? Because here's the thing. God has put people in your life intentionally, child of God. He has put people in your life so that he can love people through you, so that he can save people through you, so that he can redeem people through you. We are instruments and vehicles of the salvation and love of God. So he has put people in our lives for the very reason to say, since I am a follower of Jesus, you are going to be impacted by Jesus through my life through me which 
might cause you to lose friendships. It could cause you, my God, to lose family members. But the stakes are too high if you don't. Because think about it. You are a witness of the love of Jesus. You are a witness of what the love of Jesus can do in your life. And you know that if they had this love, if they had this soul-changing, transformative power in their lives, their lives would be so much better. Their lives would be so much greater. Their souls would be saved. Right? So the stakes are too high for the people that God has put in your life for us to play it safe. And in the midst of our waiting on Christ's return, in the midst of our waiting to God, for God to show up in our own lives, he calls us to say, child of God, I'm calling you to still spread my love. Because truth is, this is the truth. You're covered. I got you. You good. I know it might be tough right now. I know, it might, I, know, I know things might not be easy right now. But I've already made a promise that I will take care of you and provide your every need. You're covered, child of God. I got you. But there are too many out there that ain't covered. They're not covered, and they need the covering you have. So I need you to go. Go. Effort and intentionality. That's all he's asking us to do. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right? Effort and intentionality. Verse, let's go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 23. I'm sorry, 24. Let's, go, let's, let's move to that 37 now. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. A couple things we can learn from this servant here. Be careful how you view God. Be careful how you think of God. Be careful how you identify God. The servant here calls the master a hard man, right? Calls him harsh. And this, in the Greek word here, translate violent, offensive. This is how he categorizes this servant. This is how he categorizes the master. And you know, Using my spiritual imagination, I have to believe here, because this is not a text, but I have to believe here that the devil is at play here, right? Because could, could you imagine the master gives him the, the, the gift, the other two servants, they go, and this servant's like, uh, maybe I shouldn't. Could you imagine the devil planting the seed in his mind? You know, that's a harsh master you got there. He's cruel. He's offensive. He's violent. You know what you ought to do? Bury it. Bury that talent. Don't do anything with it. That way, when he come back, you just give it to him. Right? Just give it to him. Don't do anything with what you have been given. He was tricked. Right? And this is why it's very, very important when we were talking about this in, in, in our Lord's Prayer series, Jesus intentionally says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Y'all, the devil be out here. He be out here, man. Like the devil be out here 
planting seeds of doubt in our consciousness, in our mind, trying to get us to believe lies. To believe lies, y'all. Like, look at this. He called him a hard man, right? A hard man. Are you kidding me? A hard man. Like, this master literally gave his servant more than they could ever ask for without them even asking. He just gave it to him, y'all. Is that hard to you? Is that cruel to you? See, we have to measure our thoughts against the truth, right? When we start thinking these evil thoughts about God or about people, we have to measure it up against the word first. Like, who does God say that he is? And then measure up against what God has actually done. Like, how could I serve a hard God who's given me so much? I know this to be a lie. Yet, I find myself believing it. You know why? Because I'm not on guard. Right? This is why prayer is important. This is why the Lord's prayer. This is why prayer is important. Deliver us from the evil more. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. I choose you, God. And devil, you got to get out of my mind, fam. You're not welcome here. In the name of Jesus, get out. Go somewhere, fam. You're not welcome here. We have to put the devil on notice because it will lead us to do stuff like this. Because see, here's the thing. The devil wants us to bury the talent, right? Because, see, the devil understands what we've been given. And he'll say, man, they've been given all that, and I don't stand a chance against that. I don't stand a chance against God's love, against God's wisdom, against his forgiveness, against his, his, his power. I don't stand a chance against that. My only shot is if they don't use it. That's my only shot. My only shot is if they bury it, right? And when they bury it, oh, I got them. I can go plant so many seeds of doubt and there's so many people out there, believers and unbelievers, because we are not being used by God and using the gifts that he has given us. Don't Bury your talent. It costs too much. It costs Jesus too much to get you that talent. And he's saying, child of God, don't bury it. Don't bury it. The stakes are too high. People need my love, my grace, and my power too much. Don't bury it. So we, we, we have to watch our view of God. Always, always, always measure your view of God with what? With scripture and with what he's already done. You know what God has done. You're a witness. I'm a witness to what God has done for me. So when the devil plants those seeds of doubt in my brain, bro, get out of here. You're lying. You're a liar. And they'll be like, am I though? Yes, you are. You are. So in the name of Jesus, Go. And at the name of Jesus, the devil has to flee. Be on guard, y'all. Be on guard. He was afraid. But his fear was based in a lie and not based in the truth. I feel sorry for the guy. And this, check out Jesus' answer to him, right? Look, look, look at his response. He said, you wicked and slothful servant, right? You evil and lazy servant. My God. 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my, what was my own with interest. This is an interesting response, right? So Jesus is basically saying, right, fam, if you would have put the money in a bank, you would have been good. So it's almost like he's saying you're playing with house money, right? You're playing with just like, like you, it, it, it will be so hard for you to mess up what I have set up for you that you have to truly and intentionally try to talk your way out of the word I have for you, right? You have to, uh, you have to literally, uh, 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 you have to literally work at saying I'm not going to do what God has called me to do, which, which is what He did. This is what He did. He said, "You know what? I'm going to bury this thing and render it useless." Right? And Jesus is like, "Fam, I mean, you can go around and say hi to people, be kind to people, and that would be more than burying it. That would be more than 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 than, than, than not using it at all." You playing with house money. I'm not giving you a quota. I'm not saying you got to impact 200 lives by the age of 30. I'm not saying that, that, that 15 souls got to be saved by the time you're 40. You are not a salesman, right? You're a child of the kingdom. And because you're a child of the kingdom, I just expect you to act like my child. That's all I expect. And, and, and that's what the first two servants did, right? They realized the generosity of their master, the love of them. And they say, you know what? Let me go and trade on this. Let me go and spread this love and generosity to other people, right? Their view of God was so high as a man. This is so kind. This is so love. This is so generous that I have to go and do business with this thing. I have to do business with this love I receive. I have to do business with this generosity. I have to spread this love, spread this kindness, spread this good news, because I know that if it changed my life like this, it can change so many others. So therefore, let me go. I got to go. And Jesus said, fam, you, it's lazy. You lazy, man. You didn't do nothing with that. Nothing. And then he calls him evil. And this gets to the point. The stakes are too high. You have been saved, right? We have been saved. It's almost like, it's almost like saying we've been snatched up from a river when we were drowning. We look back down at the river and say, they good. They'll make it out. God's like, that's evil, right? You can't do that. No, if I saved you, the least I want you to do is to go try to, say, try to save somebody else. That's the least you can do. And guess what? Again, you're playing with house money. All I want you to do is to go. My spirit is with you. You have my spirit. The spirit is going to do the work. All you got to do is plant seeds of love, of kindness, of generosity and truth, and I'm going to water it with my spirit and let it manifest into a new believer or into a loved person that has been changed fundamentally by my love. That's all I ask you to do. Go. Right? And it's evil. It's evil, Jesus says, that you do nothing with what you have been given. The stakes are too high. Y'all, people need Jesus, man. Can I get an amen? Right? 
This world, they need Jesus. So they, they, they may not know it, but people need Jesus. And we are robbing them of the opportunity if we don't simply go. Just go, right? Just go. And Jesus goes on to say, you're evil, you're lazy, you knew, you knew my power, right? This is really interesting. He said that you knew that I can, I can have a harvest, I can, I, I, I can grow things without even plant. I can make something out of nothing, right? You knew, that, you knew what my power is. You should have invested with bankers. So then he says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, right? This is interesting, too, because he says, if you're not going to do anything with what I have given you, I'm going to take it away, give it to somebody else, and then they'll do it, right? This is to emphasize the point that I give you something for you to use it, right? So he says, give it to someone who did use it correctly, which emphasizes the point that when I give you these gifts, when I give you these talents, the example is to the right, right? One guy said, I went, multiplied it by five. Multiplied it, by doubled my, I doubled it and, got, and brought you back 10. I went, multiplied it, got, got it to four. That's, what the, that's the point, right? That's the goal, is to multiply. And again, he's not giving you a quota. He's saying go. And you know why he's not giving you a quota? Because God knows that, that, that with my power and with my spirit, <laughs> Anything can happen, right? Revival can happen. My power is so strong that it's hard to even categorize what can happen with my power and with my spirit. I just need you to go. And then let's jump down to 30. And cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. Jesus ends on a scary note. Here's the thing. This parable is meant to teach us that we're not called to be passive with what we've been given. Right? In the midst of our waiting, Jesus calls us to action. And it ends on this scary note, not because Jesus takes joy in telling us horror stories and telling us scary things. But Jesus cares deeply about humanity. He does not want us to have messed up lives or eternities. So Jesus can sometimes tell us scary stories because he does not want our lives to have a scary ending, right? He would be doing you and I a disservice if he did not tell us the truth, right? So this parable is meant to teach us that when we live our lives, we have to have a future orientation on the final judgment, right? The final judgment is coming. And Jesus is telling you and I this morning, don't bury your don't bury your talent, right? It costs too much to get you where you are right now. It costs Jesus quite literally everything. 
And that cost saved you and I. And that cost is meant to save more, not just for us to be this siloy church where we just cool and kicking it up in here. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're called to go out. We're called to go and change lives through the love and power of Christ. Don't bury your talent. And, and the final judgment is not meant to strike fear into believers. It's not meant to say that, you know, I'm going to tell you that what, I'm going to tell you the worst outcome to guilt you into doing what I want you to do. No, 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 no. Because Jesus tells us very, very clearly that if you do what I've called you to do, what's going to happen? What's he going to say? Well done, my faithful and good servant. Enter into your, the joy of your master. That's what we can look forward to. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to focus on that, right? I want you to focus on th that part of the promise, right? I got to tell you the worst outcome to warn you, but focus on those first two servants, right? They got to go and abide with Jesus for an eternity. That's what's waiting for you, right? That's what's waiting for us. If we do what we have been called to do, in the meantime, right? In between the first and second advent, right? Waiting on God is a spiritual practice. Waiting on God is a spiritual discipline. We have been called to it. It is what our ancestors did and it's what we are called to do. And if we do it well, in the midst of our waiting, the world will be changed. The people in your life that God has placed in your life, family members, co-workers, community members, they will be changed by the love that Jesus has given unto you. Don't bury your talent because it costs too much and the stakes are too high. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the marvelous and wonderful work of your son. God, I pray that we take heed to this parable, take heed to this message, and that we can go. We can go, God, into this world that you've created, into this world that you have blessed us with. I pray that we can go and spread your love, spread your word, spread your message. I pray that we can embody your love in the lives of our families, our communities, our coworkers, God, so that we can teach them and show them the beauty, the majesty, the joy of what it is to be a follower of you. It's not always easy. It's not always great. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. But your love is so matchless that even in the midst of trials and tribulations, we can still have peace and joy because those are the gifts that you bestowed upon us. And I pray that we can embody that, God. I pray that we can show that. And I pray that we don't bury the talents that you have given unto us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for everything you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have come to the moment where we're going to do communion now.